0: This Week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Christian Del Bianco and the Roughnecks D stole the show as Calgary is a win away from their first title since 09. No time to panic for the Bandits. They look to avoid back to back losses for the first time all year. And we'll be joined by Jeff Snyder, Brad Chowder, and Pat Gregler. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and the Lacrosse Flash. My name's Teddy Jenner, and I hope you are excited as I am for Saturday night in Calgary as the Roughnecks look for their first title since 2009. And all their titles that they've won have been on home floor. So this will be another chance to celebrate in front of their home fans. They've beaten the New York Titans, they've beaten the Buffalo Bandits, can they win their third title in franchise history? On the other side of the floor, can the Bandits avoid back-to-back losses for the first time all season? Only team that that didn't happen to. As they try to force Game 3 back home next week, next Friday to be exact, in front of Banditland. If you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, where you can find me on Twitter, at OffTheCrossbar. We'll be joined by Jeff Snyder, longtime Calgary Roughneck. We'll be joined by our friend Pat Gregoire, who joins us each and every week here on the podcast during the National Lacrosse League season. And also, by the man riding shotgun to my driver's seat on Saturday night, calling the action for BR Live from the Saddle Dome, the one and only Brad Chaloner. Let's kind of go back quickly and look back to game one of this National Lacrosse League final. And it took a very similar path to the Western final between the Roughnecks and the Mammoth where it was a defensive showcase for the first half of that lacrosse game. And I really thought we were going to get to a point where we weren't going to see a goal for the first half. Then it really started to look like that. Again, very similar to Game 1 of the West Final where Calgary and Colorado only scored two goals in the half and they didn't score until 5.47 into that second quarter. But Game 1 between the Bandits and the Ruffies was scoreless for nearly nine minutes. And it wasn't until Reese Dutch beat Matt Vince from far and away outside to finally get that first goal on the board and then it was another five minutes before Corey Small tied it up two former former Shamrock teammates two former Vancouver Warrior teammates getting it done to get things going in game one. but neither Matt Vince or Christian del Bianco would give up too much more the rest of the half. Again, the next two goals, nine and a half minutes into the second quarter. And then Dutch with his second ties things up with about two minutes left in the half to send us to the break with a combined four goals. I believe it's the lowest scoring first half in an NLL final. Graham Parra will probably double check that for me. But will we see the same sort of half? and defensive prowess in Game 2 that we saw in Game 1. It was a bit of a feeling-out process in Game 1, as often is it as it is in these playoff-type series. When it's a one-game battle, often there's not room for a feeling-out process. And with these teams having only played each other once during the regular season, and that being halfway through the season, it was no surprise that it took these teams a little time to figure each other out. I didn't think it would be as low scoring as it was in the first half and throughout the game for that point. But I did expect both goaltenders and defenses to be quite stingy. To the fact of four goals, probably not as stingy as I thought. Or maybe stingier than I thought. But I don't mind it. I don't mind... Seeing defensive battles. Yes, lacrosse is a high-scoring, fast-paced game. But when you can see two defenses thwarting attack after attack, two goaltenders just playing at their top of their game at the right time, it is a pretty thing to watch. And as that game went on, every shift became that much more important. Every goal seemed to build a little bit more momentum. And even when Calgary raced out to those three goals late, or sorry, in the second half of quarter three, you never really thought it was going to blow open. You really thought that Matt Vince would settle down, and he did, but that fourth quarter was a track meet. And I liken game one to short track Olympic cycling. Where you got two athletes riding tire to tire in a single line. Just playing cat and mouse. Neither wanting to make a move too soon. Neither wanting to make that break too quickly. And just waiting to the last moment to make a run for the finish line. And that's exactly how game one played out. Neither team wanted to give too much nor wanted to show too much. And as the bell rang for the final lap in that fourth quarter, it was a sprint to the finish. And it was the third quarter that would eventually give Calgary a lead it would never give up, and enough room to have space down the stretch as Buffalo tried to make a late run in the fourth. But that was an absolutely fantastic lacrosse game to watch. If you're upset because it was 10 7, ain't nobody got time for that. This was a master class in lacrosse defense. It was a true thing of beauty to watch. And I expect game two will be very similar. We'll probably see a few more goals. Saturday night in Calgary. I think the offense will have a little more success having some more defensive game tape to watch. But it was a very tightly called game uh, by Chris Williams and his crew, Todd LeBranch and Matt Garrison. I thought they did a wonderful job. They let the guys play. Only eight penalties called the whole game. Four for each team. Only four power plays throughout the whole contest. Like, it was a very well-played lacrosse game. Two very evenly matched teams. You know, you get Curtis Dixon, only a goal and an assist, but Reese Dutch was the big difference in the first half. Obviously, Dane Doby had a monster second half. And at the other end, you know, Sean Evans had a goal and four assists. Josh Byrne had four points. Dane Smith, much like Curtis Dixon, Only a goal and an assist. So the defenses really shut down most of the stars. Each team had a guy that was more potent than everybody else. So from a defensive standpoint, I think both teams have to be happy with where they are. The general rule of thumb for defenses is if you can hold your opponent to under 12 goals, you're in a good spot. I think now that we're tightly in the playoffs, if you hold them... Under 10, you're probably in a good spot. I'll be very interested to see what adjustments both teams make for Game 2 Saturday night. It'll be very interesting to see what roster changes we see. Oftentimes when Calgary plays at home, that means that Tyler Pace will factor into the lineup. I wouldn't see that changing. We'll ask Brad Chaloner, about that in a little bit. But the chess match between Kurt Miloski and John Tavares will be on full display. The head to head matchup between Christian Del Bianco and Matt Vince will have all eyes on it. Both those goaltenders were absolutely phenomenal. Two different styles of play between the pipes, two different mindsets of the goaltenders, but one thing remains constant. Do everything you can to get your body in front of the ball and keep it away from the goal line. I hope like I said you're as excited for game 2 as I am. I'll have the call on BR live along with Brad Chandler, Kayla Speece and Ashley Docking. It will be a raucous night. There was just under 16,000 in Banditland Saturday. I would expect a very similar crowd Saturday night at the Rough House as the Bandits look to force a Game 3. As mentioned, Brad Chowder will be alongside me with the call. I caught up with Brad earlier in the week, and of course, being two Metro-type guys, we had to figure out what the heck we are going to be wearing to look so good on worldwide television
1: got your outfit picked up? Are we are we coordinating? How's how's this gonna go down?
2: Uh, my outfit is currently at the dry cleaners. I'll be picking it up Thursday morning.
1: But so you're not gonna let me know what the tie?
2: Oh, is? oh, I'm gonna go a uh, blue on a blue suit, white shirt, red tie. How about you?
1: Well, red hair can't do red tie because it's That's just true. not a good combination. So I'll probably do blue shirt. Or, sorry, white shirt, blue suit like you, but I'll find a different color tie. So we're just right. we're just a little bit different, you know?
2: Fair enough. we got to look good to bring the broadcast to the people, right? Exactly,
1: man. exactly. Okay.
2: They'll only see us for, like, five minutes of an entire show, but we got to look good for those five minutes. No,
1: we've got a 30-minute pregame show to do. Oh, it's
2: right.
1: Fun. Don't right. forget about the extra workload this weekend. I know. Uh,
2: uh,
1: how excited are
2: you for this game Saturday? a uh, game two. Uh, Calgary, a chance to win at home. It's going to be a rockets environment inside the Saddle Saddledome. Uh, what are you looking forward to most Saturday night?
1: I well, working with you, obviously. Oh, you know, as we, as you and I come full circle in our broadcast careers. I don't know if people uh, listening to the podcast know this, but I think last time you and I were at a booth together. Um, well, one of the last times, 2010 Minto Cup, we called together. But I was doing play by play, and you yeah. were my color guy. Yeah. Now here yeah. we are, nine years later. Flip the script. Some of the players on the floor, the same guys who were there in Coquitlam yeah, yeah. in
3: 2010.
1: But um, yeah, besides the besides getting to call uh, call my second NLL finals and the butterflies that I'm having this week, man. Like what a what a showcase for the league to have to have these two teams in the finals. You know, the hottest team to finish the regular season in Calgary and the hottest team the entire regular season in the Buffalo Bandits and and two teams that matched up. So well on paper heading into this one what i love about these two teams is that they play lacrosse that the way i think the game is is supposed to be played you know they're physical they're aggressive uh they're fast-paced they've got big physical defenders they've got offensive superstars on both sides but you know coached by the legends of the sport in kurt milowski and and john tavares and rich kilgore you know they really play an old school mentality uh a type of lacrosse and and, you know, they're aggressive and they, and they don't take any any flack from anybody. And, you know, it's been a nasty game one. I think game two is going to get a little nastier, even more so. But, yeah, two teams that um, are, are absolutely deserve it to be where they are. And the Calgary Roughnecks with a chance to, to close this thing out at home is pretty special.
2: It is going to be a special night. Obviously, game one was a bit of a feeling out process. We saw that in that first half where it was, what, 2-2 two, two after 30 minutes. Do you expect Game 2 to be a little more wide open, or do you expect another defensive-slash-goaltender duel?
1: You know, I, I, it was a blast to watch that, and I know mm-hmm. some people want to complain and piss them on about low-scoring lacrosse games and playoffs, but I've I've been so entertained throughout this postseason in some of these low-scoring affairs. But that said, this Bandits offense is is not going to put up another 7 again. I think they're going to wake themselves up. They're going to make some adjustments. John Tavares is going to give, whisper some sweet nothings into the into the ears of the offensive players. And I, I do see this one opening up a little bit more. I don't know how much more Christian Del Fianco has been the best goaltender on the planet throughout this postseason. So, you know, opening it up for Buffalo right now might be like 10 or 11 uh, mm-hmm. to give themselves a chance to win this game. But I do think we're going to get a little more Buffalo offense in this one. This is a team that hasn't lost two games in a row all season long. Um, their first chance of really tasting adversity. And I do think we're going to see a a bit of a more inspired Buffalo squad to to open things up a little bit. So I do think the fans are going to get a few more goals this weekend.
2: Well, I talked with John Tavares last week. We really focused on depth for both teams and how you can't really game plan for one guy. Because if you do, then the other four, five, six guys are going to kill you. But I think both defenses really did a good job in limiting – Um, Curtis Dixon limiting Dane Smith and and some of the top scores to quality scoring opportunities but now we look at you know Dane Dobie put up six Josh Byrne put up four Uh, the defensive coaches are going to have to adjust aren't they
1: yeah I I think so for sure and you mentioned you mentioned Curtis Dixon there and there's not a chance where he goes two games in a row without scoring one goal so what kind of adjustments do you make? If you do try to, you know, focus a little bit more on Dobie, well, now Dixon becomes the guy that's exposed. Ooh. So I think, you know, the defenses both have to stick to, to what they've been doing and just playing a a focused, a focused team defense because, yeah, anybody can go off on on any given night. So I don't know, like, the defenses to me for both games were, were pretty good, and I think Calgary needs to stick to the exact same system that, that's been working so well. They've been clogging the middle, forcing Buffalo to take the bad shots and giving Del Bianco a chance to save things, and and in Buffalo, there's the vents. If there's any adjustments down there, it's uh it's it's fixing the holes down low. A lot of the goals were Dane Doby crashing the crease, the Dixon one was right on top of the doorstep. If there's an adjustment for Buffalo, I think it's 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 taking away those crease opportunities and mm-hmm. forcing a lot more outside shots for Matt Vince to face. That's the only tweak really I see coming there. But yeah, as you said, like six players are, can go for these two teams at at any given night, so you know, I think Calgary's gonna to stick to the system and, and Buffalo with some minor adjustments has a great chance of bouncing right back.
2: Reese Duff scored the first two goals for Calgary in game one, the only two goals they scored in the half. Um, this isn't a, a rain on the Vancouver parade, but how different would his season be had he stayed in Vancouver, do you think?
1: That is a tough call. Good question, man. Um, you know, he if you look, he's only nine points above this year where he was Last year, which was his career low, last year he 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 bested by nine points. Um, Vancouver had a good season, and could they have gotten past Colorado with Reese Dutch in the lineup? You know that's that's an inevitable. Um, You know he could have, but what would Egan Ball and Jordan McBride's seasons have looked like if Reese Dutch stayed in Vancouver? I know we've been hearing it online all all season long, and definitely into the postseason here about how could Vancouver cut Reese Dutch go. and and not get anything back in return. Heck, even if he sat on the sidelines for a year and they lost him in free agency at the end of this one, they would have got a compensatory first. But, you know, they released Reese Dutch because it was an entire culture shift and an Mm -hmm. entire change in Vancouver. It wasn't against Reese Dutch as a person. They knew they could probably get another 20, 25 goals out of Reese Dutch, which would have put him right up there with with the best scorers in Vancouver this season. But they didn't want him there. It was going to be a fresh start for Vancouver. And... Gave him a fresh opportunity to get a fresh start in Calgary. And, man, mm-hmm. is he absolutely flourishing and, and, and in a great spot with the Calgary Roughnecks right now. And he's blanked in the first two games and then scores two monster goals in the final. And I read somewhere this week that, that Mouse pulled Reese aside and said, we brought you in for, for these big games. And, you know, it's a real chance for, for Reese Dutch to shine. So, yeah, Vancouver season probably would have been about the same he might have used a couple more Reese goals, but I don't even think he can really, you know, hypotheticals are a tough thing to yeah. to, kind of, to kind of do. And I know why Vancouver released Reese and I'm happy to see him doing what he's doing with Calgary right now.
2: 100% agree, Brad.
1: Um, the goaltender
2: duel is obviously one that we're going to watch closely. Uh, we kind of knew it was going to be a duel heading into game one. I would imagine Matt Vince will be even stingier in game two. Um, does he still get a bit of the edge in this series being more experienced goaltender?
1: I I don't think so. As as weird as that might be to say, based on what Christian Del Bianco has shown us in the last, you know, 365 days, had Del Bianco not just come off, well, not just now, but, you know, just under a year removed from, from winning his second Minto cup with the Gwilandanax. This is a kid who's played in some big lacrosse games and I've Mm. seen nothing, from CDB over the last couple of months that tells me that, you know, he's going to collapse under pressure at home with the biggest game of his NLL career lineup. I just I just don't see that happening. And we know Vino's got, you know, six Champions Cups or six NLL Finals appearances and, and all the rings and the greatest goaltender ever. Um, but the way that Christian Del Bianco is playing, I think this is an even split. I don't think Matt Vince has an upper hand tonight. I think this is a... Or sorry, this weekend. I think this is a a very special goaltending matchup in a special scenario and I think from what we've seen from Christian Del Bianco, I think these two guys are, are the two best in the world heading into the heading into the second game of an N L Finals and I think it's I think it's even. I don't think Matt Vince has an advantage over Christian Del Bianco on Saturday night.
2: What is gonna be an advantage for the Buffalo Banner Saturday night?
1: I think they've got to get a little meaner I think they need to, to try to get under Calgary skin and that can happen. We know that mm-hmm. the roughnecks have you know, can get can get heated at times and can take some poor penalties and, and the bandits need to capitalize on that and and, and get mean and get physical and, and try to poke around a little bit and get get Greg Harnett off his game, try to go Tyson Bell into something. The guys that can that can take it too and, and get Buffalo back in it. But I think that is gonna be a major factor for the bandits is, is getting mean again, getting getting that Rich Kilgore defense going and, you know, punishing Dixon, punishing Dobie, and then their offensive players getting a little grittier too. Like, that's why Jordan Durson and Thomas Hogarth are there is to be scrappy offensive players that are going to goad guys in to taking a bad two. And I think we're going to see a, a pissed off bandits this weekend. I think that can be their advantage.
2: For Calgary, obviously Jesse King has been a magical good luck charm over the five games that he's played in this club since coming off the injury reserve. Uh, How important is he having, you know, some championship experience with the Shamrocks, being around the Georgia team the last few years? How important is that? Because not many of this Calgary group have been to a final.
1: No, and and, and you've had a front row seat to see Jesse King play since he was a, A young kid, and he is a special, special lacrosse specimen, and he's he's where he is for a reason right now. He's fresh, and I, you know I think it's huge. I think I think Jesse King doesn't want, you know, he's got that ring from 2017 with Georgia, but he didn't play, and I mm-hmm. think you know that probably sits in the back of his head, saying, you know what, now is my opportunity to get one here, and he is just so calm and poised, and he's another guy like Del Bianco where it doesn't look like anything. Rattles him, and you know we've seen in the postseason so far. If he isn't scoring goals, he's digging out loose balls. He, he's setting hard picks. He's aggressive on the forecheck. He just does a lot of stuff off ball that that makes him a really special lacrosse player. And like I said, you know he he's fresh right now. There's guys that have played 21 games so far this season, and you know he's heading into what his sixth. Yeah. So you know he's fresh. He's fresh and and ready to go. And. It's no surprise to me that they haven't lost a game since he's been in the lineup. He has really been an X-factor. He's taken the pressure off of Doby. He's taken the pressure off of Riley Loan and Dan Taylor and really uh, really added another dynamic to that hole for sure.
2: The battle between Kurt Miloski and John Tavares, uh, a, go- a coaching duel, as it were. Uh, do either coaches make big roster adjust- adjustments ahead of Saturday? Do you think we see the same lineups?
1: Uh, I I don't think Buffalo is going to change anything. I don't know if Chris Cloutier coming in would affect anything. I think they got to stick to their system. Um, Calgary, I expect we see Tyler Pace back in the lineup, so that'll be another factor on their O. I know Shane Simpson was playing a little bit of offense last week, but I was thinking to myself when I saw the starting lineup, you know, how many shifts can, can Reese Dutch and Curtis Dixon play? Yeah, there's only a couple games left in the season, but... Those those late game shifts are going to wear down on on the mm-hmm. veterans like that. So I think Tyler Pace coming in will be a, a huge boost for the Calgary Roughnecks, and I, I think Shane Simpson probably just takes a seat. I know they've they've shown a lot of faith in their in their rookie defense in, in Salama and, and Reese Callis and guys like that. But I think maybe you just bring Tyler Pace in and, and Shane Simpson sits this one out, unfortunately, and uh, and go from there. But I don't expect any banded lineup changes.
2: Uh, a massive crowd will be on hand inside the Dome. Brad, all uh, looking forward to getting together in Calgary Friday night, and calling a great game of the on Saturday. Appreciate the time, as always, my man. And we'll see you in a couple of days.
1: Can't wait, buddy. Let's uh, let's have a steak and uh, and a bourbon in Cowtown and, and call it the game of our lives. Can't wait for it.
0: There he is. That's Brad Chowner. You can find him on Twitter, Brad Chow, L. We'll be looking good in our blue suits. I'm not sure... If it's going to clash or not. Nonetheless. Brattle Ride Shotgun. I'll have the play-by-play call. Again, we'll be joined by Kayla Speece, who will cover all things Roughnecks. And Ashley Docking will have the beat on the Buffalo Bandits during the broadcast. And we are all looking forward to getting to Calgary on the weekend. And bringing you Game 2 Live on Bleacher Report Live. Make sure you subscribe and get your game ticket. And if you're going to be in Calgary... Make sure you get there early, get your seat, get yourself warmed up because it's going to be an absolutely wild night inside the saddle dome. You talked about uh we talked about with Brad the idea of Tyler Pace getting in the lineup. I think putting him in for Shane Simpson is uh, a good adjustment. It's something they've been doing for most of the year. Simpson gives them a lot of speed out of the back end and an extra defensive body that can play up the front. Uh, If they need to, but I think they have plenty of speed on their home turf that they're going to be happy with Tyler Pace running out the front door, uh, giving some rest to Dutch and Dixon who were going out pretty much every shift almost in that lacrosse game. So when you add Tyler Pace, it gives those other guys uh, a shift or two off. I know you don't want to give those guys too many shifts off because you want them touching the ball as much as possible. But when you can add an offensive weapon like Tyler Pace, I think you take that opportunity and put him in. Uh, On the other side of the ball, I really don't know if Buffalo makes too many changes to their roster. Again, I think much as Brad did, that John Tavares is happy with his group, happy with that squad. Uh, they just need to make a few minor adjustments. Uh, a lot of players on a team, including JT, mentioned post game that they didn't shoot the ball very well. They need to be better with their shot selections. It will be interesting to see the adjustments they make to get better shots on Christian Del Bianco. Obviously, the outside shots, Calgary loves to give those up uh, because they give Delbs the angle and a clear look. It's the inside looks that Buffalo needs to get more of. And I thought they did a good chance at times in that game. But every time that they did, Del Bianca was right there to thwart them. So if they can continue to get inside, continue to work the two-man game, get guys cutting through the middle, I think they'll have more success. Calgary, obviously, on a defensive side of the ball, they want to keep guys to the outside, keep pressuring, put Buffalo in difficult positions and not allow them clean looks on target. The other side of the floor, we talked about Tyler Pace getting into the lineup for Calgary offensively. That brings some more speed and another look uh, from the right-hand shooter side. So Buffalo's defense is going to have to make a bit of an adjustment. Obviously, Dane Doby's going to get his points. They have to find a way to silence him. Not let him heat up. But he is just so shifty. And so good with and without the ball. It's very tough to deny him quality scoring opportunities. They did a great job limiting Curtis Dixon. I don't think they're going to be able to do that two games in a row. They're just too talented and too deep offensively to have Curtis Dixon not score multiple goals. But if Dixon's going to be held to one, if Dane Smith is going to be held to one, We'll go back to what John Tavares talked about two weeks ago. And that is offensive depth. Both teams have incredible depth. They're going to need it here in game two. And one stat I find absolutely unfathomable is that Jordan dursen doesn't have a goal in these playoffs. He has one assist. That's it. If this Buffalo Bandits team is going to be successful in game two, They're going to need guys like Durston and Hogarth. Uh, They're going to need Ian McKay to chip in. They're going to need their depth guys to put up numbers. If you don't get depth scoring, you're going to have a long night. So it'll be very interesting to see the adjustments, JT... And Rusty Krueger make out the front door for the Bandits. Just trying to find a different game plan to get guys to the middle of the floor, get shots on target, create transition chances. Because that's another area where I think the Bandits struggled early on. Obviously late in that game when it turned into a bit of a track meet in that fourth quarter, the transition opportunities became a little more apparent. But if Buffalo is going to have success, they got to get to the middle of the floor, they got to have depth of scoring, and they got to score in transition. Every week, we take a peek around the NLL. So many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat. With
2: smoke, and Pat. Pat Gregor is back on the show for at least another week, talking national cross league. as we
3: have a chat with Smoke and Pat. T, how are you? Doing good, buddy. Doing good. Uh, you know, we, we we talked about how uh, we could see the game going two different ways. Uh, either you know these two high uh, you know high powered offense could go off. Or we could see a defensive and goaltending battle, and that certainly was the case uh, in game one. And I know you and I being uh, fans of some some nice tight defense, uh, that was fun to watch, I thought.
2: It was fun. And um, I've likened it to a short track Olympic cycling race where the two guys just kind of go as slow as possible for like the first three laps. And they're just riding each other's tail, and no one's really making a sprint for it. And then in the last 50 meters of the game, it's just an absolute horse race. And that's what game one was to me. It was 0-0. It was 2-2. Calgary all scored them 3-1 in that third quarter, but that fourth quarter was just an absolute track meet. Do you think we kind of see the same sort of game where it's a feeling out process, and then it's just whoever can score last? You know what?
3: I, I think maybe that's how Calgary will want to dictate the game. Uh, but I think uh, the Bandits, the way that they saw the game unfold and uh, the way that they kind of you know came out at the later stages of the game and really started to push transition and really started to play a little more of an up-tempo game, I think they saw some success there. And I think that's probably the route um, that they're going to want to take. Uh, but at the end of the day it is still playoff lacrosse um it's a an elimination game for the bandits as well so uh you know those sticks might be held a little tighter and those mistakes um become more and more costly uh but i think at the end of the day i think the bandits have to play with that do or die mentality and really really go out there playing like you know their lives are on the line here and really set the tempo and not let another team uh, dictate how the game is going to go.
2: Do you think they had success in transition, or do you think it was just a byproduct of both teams sort of taking the reins off and just battling to to t- the end? Because, yes, they scored a couple of transition goals, and yes, the pace picked up, but I think it was more a byproduct of both teams just letting the reins
3: off it. Right. You know what? I, I honestly didn't really even think of it that way until you said it. And I think maybe maybe it's a little bit of both. But I do think, though, um, when the Bandits did play their best lacrosse, obviously, uh, you know, their offense is clicking at all cylinders. Um, you know, they have their top guns. Um, you know, obviously the Dane Smith, the Sean Evans, uh, you know, the Josh Burns, the list goes on and on. Those guys are really humming the ball along. But in some of those games where – A few of their top guys were held scoreless. Uh, It was their transition game, you know, that allowed them um, to kind of dig themselves out of little ruts. Uh, It was never really a slump for any of these offensive players or uh, them as a unit. Uh, But there were stretches of some games where the offense, for whatever reason, the ball wasn't sinking for them and things weren't going their way. And the Bandits really allowed, uh, you you know, the big guns on the back end. You know, the fast, uh, athletic, young legs that they do have kind of have their own um, effect in the game, in the offensive game. And I I do see what you're saying there. Obviously, the reins are off. It's more of a run-and-gun style of game. Uh, But I think the Bandits might maybe take off the reins a little bit of their D guys and allow the Friolos, the Spangers, uh, the Ethan O'Connors, all those young guys on the back end to push the ball and try to be creative.
2: Uh, you mentioned Ethan O'Connor. How much of a backbreaker and a momentum change was that two-goal swing of having his goal called back and then Dobie's goal at the other end?
3: Yeah, it it, it completely changes everything. And you know what? It, it's with those plays that you kind of always feel like, something like that's going to happen, whether it be, you know, a goal called back or, you know, a controversial non-call that should have been a penalty or a possession call. It just always seems, especially in the big games, um, that happens. And that also is a little bit of a testament to the way um that Calgary has had their season, and especially down the stretch, it just seems that, you know, their top guns, they're big players, and obviously, like everyone keeps saying, which I think it's going to be true, the MVP, Dane Dobie, uh capitalizing on other teams making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. And I know it's not really a mistake. It's more or less, a, a you know, just an inch not even uh, of a mistake that goes the other way, but you exactly – Nailed that on the head. It's absolutely backbreaking, um, and at that point in the game, it's tough to rally around. And uh, that almost seemed like it was the nail in the coffin for
4: that for the game.
2: I'm going to ask you about yeah. Jane Dobie in, in a minute, but we got to focus on Christian Del Bianco and the Ruggers defense for the Riggers defense. Uh, the past two games that they have played in the playoffs, they've shut down the Colorado offense in the West final. They shut down Buffalo's offense in Game One of the. NLL final what has this defense done to take their game to another level
3: you know what it, it really has been a combination and you can't really you know praise Christian Bianco without praising the defense and you can't praise the defense without praising Christian Bianco, and you can't praise either of them without praising you know Kurt Miloski and that, uh, that bench all three of those units we'll call them uh, have contributed because you know Kerbaloski is able to put a strong defensive plan together with the way that Del Bianco is playing, Um, you know, because he's so calm, cool, and collected, just gobbling up all rebounds. And it seems like every shot just gets sucked right into him. And there's no chance of a second chance um, on the crease, whatever it may be. And it allows that this, you know, fast, hard-nosed athletic defense, like the Riggers, they can go out get to hands, really put Buffalo in awkward situations, uh, and take bad shots. Buffalo missed the net 32 times um, in that game as well because not just because their shots weren't really finding the cage, but they were resorting to some outside shots, some shots that we don't normally see them take, and that was totally dictated because the big defenders could get out and dictate where Christian Del Bianco was going to see the ball. And even when the defense did falter, Del Bianco was there to make a big save. And that allowed the defense to say, all right, boys, we can take some chances here because we know Del Bianco is going to make a big save behind us. He's going to bail us out, and we're going to get back and go right into things. And even with them, too, it's given them confidence to transition the ball and get in on the scoring. Dan McRae scoring his first-ever playoff goal, which was pretty cool to see. I thought he was... You know, outside of Del Bianco, probably the best player on the back end for the Riggers.
2: What does Buffalo do?
3: Uh,
2: I was speaking with Brad Chaloner earlier, and he talked that we'll most likely see Tyler Pace. We may see Tyler Pace in the lineup for Calgary, as we often do for home games. Are there any adjustments the Bandits can make to just kind of counter what Calgary threw at them in game one? Or do you think JT and Richie stick with the same lineup and put faith in those? Eighteen guys.
3: You know, I, I think if I had to guess, I think they're going to go with that same eighteen. Maybe, maybe you'll see something, maybe a little shake up, but for the most part, these are guys up to the guys to this point. I, I would more or less maybe see a situation where you know they're they're, they're going to watch game tape. They're going to see what worked for them, what didn't work for them, which was more the case. Uh, on Saturday night, what didn't work for them, mm-hmm. and let's be honest here, they have so many offensive weapons up front. And I'm not taking anything away from Christian Del Bianco because I just praised him for about a minute and a half there. Uh, three minutes, but... it
2: was three minutes. No kidding. <laughs>
3: minutes. But you're you're not going to be able to hold down this this Buffalo offense again. They're not. They might not snap and put up 15. Uh, but you know that some of these guys, their shots are going to sink. You know that they are going to try something different, try to get to the middle. Uh, maybe, you know, you know, even, like I said, try to get some transition uh, involved as well. Maybe really start to push um, out the back end. Try to get those shots to down low, get off the leg pads of Christian Del Bianco so he can give up those rebounds because I thought one of the best uh, – Attributes of this Buffalo offense, besides them having so many guys that can go off, they also have some of those nitty and gritty guys that can crash the net and score off those second chances, mm-hmm. like Hogarth, like Thurston, uh, like Chase Fraser. Those guys they were held, uh, you know, for the most part off the score sheet without uh, Fraser scoring one goal. So I, I think that's that's ways, and uh, you're not into a panic mode because, like I said, there's just way too much talent on that front end to. Just not think that, you know what, Sean Evans, Dane Smith, these guys are going to go off. Josh Byrne, actually, I thought he had a tremendous game um, Mm -hmm. for the Bandits. I think he was probably their best offensive player. So you hope to see maybe a similar performance out of him. Um, But I I do think, obviously, you kind of get into a point where you're, you're like, our backs are against the wall. But I think you have to put trust in that group that you have because they just have been so good all season long and especially in the playoffs down the stretch, too.
2: Game two goes Saturday night in the Saddle Dome in Calgary. And, Pat, before we let you go, obviously, uh, as the NL season ends, the Canadian summer season kind of starts to kick off. Juniors are well underway. We've had long talks about your heads and my Shamrocks meeting in, in the Founders. But the Brooklyn Lacrosse Club is having what many would call a fire sale. And they have shipped a bunch of players east. They trade a bunch of players for cash and for picks. What is going on in the DLT?
3: Well, you know, Brooklyn, they're they're in a, a situation here where they can't exactly financially hang with some of the the top programs in, in the East. With obviously Peterborough and Six Nations, who uh, for the longest time have obviously been the top two programs. Oakville now coming into the mix as well. So. They're seeing an opportunity where uh, the West is hungry for a man cup. It's out there. Uh, and, you know, Brad MacArthur has realized, listen, we can ship out some of these, uh, you know, top players that they do have uh, out West. Uh, and we even saw some <laughs> within the province as well, too. Uh, they're seeing an opportunity where they have some strong pieces. They know or they don't know if right now is the time, if they can compete with the Peter Bros, Uh, the Six Nations, and uh, like I said, also Oakville as well. So why not temporarily ship some of these guys out west? Uh, You know, Poulin's near the end of his career. He he got traded to Peterborough. They have two young goalies in, Riley Hutchcraft, and then, of course, Zach Higgins. So those are the guys that they're going to be looking to for the future. So why not get a couple of first-round picks there? They're loaded with picks now. And uh, I honestly think, though, Brooklyn's – it's not like they're – going to completely rebuild here. They still have a lot of young talent out the back door, especially. Um, And obviously there's still a few pieces here or there that haven't fully, or we haven't heard if they've committed to a full season with uh, Brooklyn. Uh, But it just seems like it's, it's a, I don't want to say a changing of the guard, if you will, because Brooklyn hasn't been that, that top team uh, for a few years, although they took Peterborough to seven games last year. Mm. Uh, I think that maybe this is a situation where in a year or two years, some of those guys come back uh, and then some of those young pieces that they've added and some of those draft picks that down the road, then maybe we see them competing with Peterborough, um, competing with Six Nations and, of course, the Oakville Rock. And then you look down the, the 401 as well, Brampton, they've got a very young team as well. Uh, you know, Dan Pete there as well. A lot of those young guys from that uh, excellent Junior A program are now coming up. Uh, major Series of Lacoste, maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's next year or the year after where you look from top to bottom, there's going to be a lot more parity than we've seen uh, in recent years.
2: Well, it definitely would be nice to see somebody other than Peterborough or Six Nations in a man cup.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I, mean, I, I had the pleasure to uh, call – the man cup when it was in six nations, uh, just a couple of years ago. And obviously anytime that you're up in Peterborough at the Memorial center, obviously this year, they're going to be playing out of the Evan which will be a little bit of a change, but those two franchises, they have deserved to be there. Uh, they're great organizations, but at the end of the day, I agree with you. It's great to see, you know, a team like Oakville, they're so young. They've got a lot of talent, um, you know, what Matt Soar has done there with uh, some of their pieces. Uh, and they, you know, went, I believe it was six, ga- or five, yeah, it was six games uh, with Peterborough, forcing them, like I said, Brampton coming up as well, Brooklyn obviously taking a few steps back, and even Coburg, uh, not too many wins over the past few years, but they're becoming a much, much more difficult team to play against. And they're a team that if they continue to grab some pieces as well, Uh, Major Series Lacrosse is going to look completely different in a few years.
0: There is Pat Gregoire. You can find him on Twitter at pgreggy, or you can catch him live in person at any Ironheads lacrosse game. Looking good, hair on point, and doing the good duties of coaching the next generation of National Lacrosse League stars and Major Series stars. Maybe even some WLA stars. Speaking of the WLA kicks off Thursday night. New Westminster taking on Langley. Another summer season out west kicks off. And we talked a few weeks ago about the number of players from the East Coast that are coming west. There could be more as the season goes on with transfers and everything, as this is a Western Man Cup year. So be always, always be interesting. To see who makes their way to the beautiful West Coast for a summer of sunshine, ocean, mountains, and quality lacrosse in not-so-hot arenas. So let's keep far our focus on Game 2 now. In Calgary, we've talked about it, it's going to be a wild night. And if you're the Buffalo Bandits, you have to find a way to take the Roughnecks crowd out of this game early. And if they can do that by getting to Christian Del Bianco, solve him early, get a few goals, take the crowd out of it, I think they'll be in a very good spot. But if they allow the Roughnecks to get rolling, allow the crowd to get rolling... It will be very tough to stop that train. It is going to be a wild night inside the Saddle though. Roughnecks fans haven't seen an NLL final game since 2014 when Calgary and Rochester played game one of their best of 2.5 series. Of course, that one went to a mini-game. Calgary won game 1, 10-7 at home. They lost game 2, 16-10, and then lost the third game 3-2 in Rochester. So it's been a while for the Roughneck fans to see a championship game and a chance for them to see another title on home floor. Again, the last time that happened was way back in 2009 when Calgary beat the New York Titans 12-10. And then, of course, back in 2004 when they won their first title 14-11 over the Buffalo Bandits. Do we see a repeat? Will the Roughnecks win on home floor or can the Buffalo Bandits force a deciding game three next Friday in Banditland? As much as myself and Brad would love to be on the call for a championship winning broadcast, game three just seems apropos. The way these two teams have battled throughout the playoffs, I think having a penultimate final, a Game 3, a one-game winner-take-all mentality just will add to what was a fantastic season in the National Cross League. I think it would be awesome for the Roughnecks to get their hands on a title, their first one since 2009, For the Buffalo Bandits, it would be their first title since 2008 when they beat the Portland Lumberjacks 14-13 on their home floor. So for the Bandits, they got to force that game three. And for the Roughnecks, a chance to win it at home in front of their home crowd, in front of thousands of young kids who are dreaming of being Roughnecks, and in front of a guy who has been a Roughneck and is doing all that he can to help grow the next generation of Calgary Roughnecks, and that's Jeff Snyder. He and his brother Bob have done an incredible job with the Elevate lacrosse program in the Alberta area. They continue to develop young talent. They continue to put young men throughout U.S. colleges, and they're starting now to see the turnover of their hard work and bringing future Roughnecks, current NCW And turning them into current national lacrosse leaguers. It has been an incredible journey for both the Snyder brothers. One that's seen them receive recognition within the province of Alberta. And they just do a wonderful, wonderful job. Growing the game. Teaching it the right way. Creating talented young men and women. And just supporting the game. And having a lot of fun doing it. Jeff has been on this show numerous times. And again, we caught up with him this week. And a very easy first question. How excited is he for Saturday night?
4: You know, number one, it's, it's great for lacrosse in and Calgary. And, and, you know, we're super invested in that. And, and uh, um, you know, I, I, I love the buzz that's going on right now. Um, you know, Calgary Sport Entertainment's done a great job with what they've done here. With respect to, you know, the hitmen, the roughnecks uh the stamps and the flames um mm-hmm. you know the 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 organization is very successful they put a lot of work into it the, the you know the the staff there and the executive and the team and and it's just exciting to see um you know and i'm also excited for a lot of the guys on that team too so
2: yeah
4: um you know it's nice to see them uh have some success and you know i'm uh you know i wish uh i wish i was out there with them but um you know super happy that uh that you know they're out there uh doing what they're doing and and you know right now in a in a serious position to uh you know to put an nll championship over their heads this weekend
2: how much do you miss the game
4: oh man every day um yeah. you know it's uh it's tough too it's you know i'm in, in great shape and and feeling really good and and uh you know had a had an awesome summer last year with team canada but um you know it's uh it is what it is. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's fun watching the guys. It's fun watching the team be successful. Um, and in the same breath, um, you know, you wish you were out there too. But um, that's life, man. You can't have everything you want sometimes.
2: So, should I give Reggie Thorpe your number?
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, what? you should. But I, I might have to. Uh, I, I might have to give uh, Coach Thorpe a call. I'm, he's coached me once before, so I'm not sure if he'd be too keen on doing it again. <laughs>
2: Uh, you and your brother are doing great stuff uh, with lacrosse in Calgary. How is your program going? Because I know it's just continually evolving.
4: Yeah, we're super excited. Um, you know, we, we put together a, a really cool partnership with the Calgary Roughnecks this year. They came on as the presenting sponsor of the Elevate Classroom Lacrosse program. So, um, you know, they, man, they gave away uh, to to every student in the program that participated in uh in 2019, when we got going, uh, received two tickets. So they gave away 51,480 tickets this year uh, to wow. kids in the community, which is awesome. And uh, and we saw over 30 over 32,000 uh, since September this year, which is great. So introducing the sport, we've got guys like Dan Taylor, um, you know my brother Bob, uh, a guy by the name of Merritt Bailey, he played at Seton Hill, and a guy Kyle Burrell. Kyle's got a PhD. And uh he can't he's trying to get to the states, but he's he's helping us out in the classroom right now and it's it's really cool. We get calls every day from parents that are are looking to find out information on uh on how to get their kids playing uh, this incredible game
2: and how does the growth continue? Is it just are you seeing hockey kids transfer over to lacrosse? Are you seeing baseball kids? Are you seeing kids who have never played sports in their entire life?
4: All of the above. Um, you know, you're seeing the diversification. Our programs that we run, you know, we're running programs 12 months for the year. Whether it's a grassroots lacrosse program, um, whether it's Calgary Field Lacrosse and an introduction to get into Calgary Field Lacrosse or Calgary Field, uh, we run uh, we run the coaching component of that organization, which is great, and and we do all the on-field stuff for Calgary Field Lacrosse, or whether it's uh, elite-level programming and kids that are off to the NCAA. Um, you know our practice is we only practice twice a week, mm-hmm. um, and and are very very keen on kids doing multiple sports. Yeah. Uh, it's a big part of um, you know success right now at, at every level. You look at the Penn State lacrosse team, like man, their their entire team was multi-sport athletes, and you know, they had a you know they had an incredible year, and and uh, you know we're looking to to do the same just with um you know with the diversity in sport here. So we see we see kids that are are picking up a lacrosse stick for the first time um to kids that are uh you know kids that are looking to diversify and get involved in different sports.
2: How many kids do you have down in the States right now in college? Do you know? Off by hand?
4: Oh man, I think we're upward upwards of forty right now. I'd have to dig into the exact numbers. I'm sorry wow. I wasn't prepared to answer that question. <laughs> That's but, all right. Um to put it this way, in twenty eighteen, just twenty eighteen, we had twenty seven kids commit to college. Um you which is committed. our biggest year yet. committed 27 in in 2018 and the year before that was 11 so um you know we're uh we're pumped and and that's the big thing about what we're doing is there's a home for everybody if you've got the work ethic and that's kind of the way that we look at what we're doing with our program is is we try and we kind of treat it like you know buds for the navy seals there's selection for you know the australian military is is Mm -hmm. what they call it same sort of component and and the idea is, is, that if you have the character and the compete level, um, you know, to survive the program, and and you're a good student, you know, there's no reason that you can't find a home in the NCAA. Whether it's Division One, Two, II, or Three, um, you know, the idea is to to help kids uh, pursue, uh, you know, NCAA sports and, and post-secondary education on the platform of of, uh, of lacrosse, and and instilling, you know, qualities that, um, you know, I think that. Lacrosse maybe hasn't instilled in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Brody Merrill's doing such a great job of his program. Um, You know, you got guys, you know, we've obviously a a bit of a different situation. You got Darren and and, uh, Chris McKay doing what they're doing with Claremont. Um, You know, and for us, it's it's more than lacrosse, it's about, you know, being good citizens and what it takes on a ground level to do that, coupled with, you know, hard work and battling adversity and uh, success and failure and ultimately becoming you know, a young man or a young woman that's prepared to go to university and compete for a spot and, and perform in the classroom and, and, you know, in the in the student body as well, socially and culturally, you know, that's important too. Um, so, you know, we're using lacrosse as a tool to help instill these values in, in young men and women, and uh, it's super rewarding at the end of the day.
2: You and your brother are incredible role models within the province of Alberta. How special was it for the two of you to get the Board of Education Legacy Award, knowing all the work you guys do to help these kids better themselves?
4: Uh, It was a huge honor. Um, You know, we grew up in the Calgary Board of Education system. Um, It's arguably one of the best public education systems in the world. Um, You know, kids out of Alberta and, you know, there's kids in B.C., kids in Saskatchewan, a lot of Canadian kids. Um, get a boost in terms of their weighted average uh in correlation to their s a t and and their converted uh g p a and you know alberta student athletes are among you know some of the top uh in, in in the world in terms of their conversion rate so you know that that's that's a testament to what the Calgary Board of Education is doing in terms of a, you know a public system um and you know for us to be recognized it, it was it was super flattering we you know, we go back to captain john palliser which is the elementary school and we go back every year um yeah. you know we volunteer there and and uh and and get set up to go back to the school where we were introduced to lacrosse um in a gym class so uh, you know for us it, it's come full circle and and we're really proud of it and um you know i think bob bob deserves the majority of the credit man he's he's on the ground you know the majority of the time as is Dan Taylor um, introducing the sport to the kids around the, around the community and around the city. And um, you know, it's just, it, it's really special for us to be able to go back and, and, and give back on and, and create kids. You know, we, we were, we were, I was a punk kid running around in the fifth grade and someone put a lacrosse stick in my hand and now I'm talking to you. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty special and, and we're very proud. You're
2: still a bit of a punk kid though, aren't you? Inside? <laughs> That's
4: what my fiance would tell you, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, I, I'm working on it, man. I'm working on it.
2: You're doing a great job. Uh, let's kind of focus back on the rough next before we let you go. Um, this is a great opportunity for this organization, um, maybe a better opportunity and a bigger moment for Kurt Miloski. You've known him for a number of years. What do you think it would mean to him as a coach to get his team finally over that hump?
4: Kurt's a competitor um you know arguably one of the fiercest and and um you know for him um you know i think he's he's experienced a lot of growth as a as an n l l head coach um you know there there's no playbook uh you know to go into that situation and go into that role and and you know i think um you know what they've done there with that team um you know mike board has put together a a really good roster and and you know that that's been that's been a growth you know perspective for him as well. Um, you know the organization is is doing first class things with the team and and uh, uh you know kurt uh, putting the players together and, and those systems together and you know man he's uh you know, if anybody knows kurt he's he's over the top with respect to planning and and uh preparation and details and uh you know, it's, it's, it's nice to see that paid evidence. You know, he's worked really hard and, and I know that he, uh, you know, nothing would make him prouder than to, you know, than to to coach a team to a championship. He won one, um, you know, late in his career. um, And, and I think it would mean a lot to him to, you know, to be on, you know be standing up on the bench and and leading that group to a championship, I think would mean, uh, you know, would, would likely mean more, it would likely mean more to him doing that as a coach than it did as a player. I know that he'd probably never tell you that, but uh, I would imagine that, that, um, you know, if they, if they got this over the finish line, that would be, you know, one of coach Malowski's, uh you know, proudest moments. And, and, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm rooting for him and, and hope that, uh, you know, hope that the boys uh, step up and battle.
2: How impressed have you been with Dane Doby
4: this year? And I, you know, I made fun of Doug the other day on my commentary. He um, did. So it was probably
2: one of the best comments you had all night. <laughs>
4: and Dane, you know, listen, Dane comes right. Honestly, he was making fun of himself. I saw a podcast of him uh, uh, or uh, an interview with the NLL, and, and I think they, they put it on a repeat of him saying he's an athlete. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, he he had a very dominating performance the other night. Um, I was I was more impressed with his. His performance against Colorado, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's playing the best lacrosse of his career right now, and you know, he was held to two goals in the entire in three games o- o- over the, s- the course of the season um, against the Mammoth, and and man, he went out and, and put on a dominating performance there, and then in game one of uh, of this championship final, uh, man, he, uh, he he was absolutely, um, you know, he, he was you couldn't stop him, you know, mm-hmm. he, he had a beautiful get a beautiful goal getting underneath um you know attacking the net where you know again if you you know dane dane isn't the most spry and uh and and you know beat his defender underneath got cross crease and dove and and put a ball short side on matt vince and then you know a play later on in the game he's being defended uh, guys covering him top side and he has a slick little backhand pass to jesse king getting to the net and and you know he's he's playing unbelievable across right now and is absolutely an asset to the Calgary. Up next, I'm uh, I'm excited for Dane. I know this means a lot to him and and this is his life and all he cares about. And you know it, the only thing I think he cares about more is probably his his baby girl. And mm-hmm. you know I'm excited to uh, you know I'm, I'm excited for him. I hope uh, I hope he has a great game on Saturday night.
2: Uh, one last thing before they go, the faceoff position um, sort of has evolved over the years, and I know you're one of the big pioneers of. Of the evolution of that position, when you go watch guys like Withers and Baptiste and Timmy Edwards and Tyler Burton, who are just dominating games single-handedly, how impressive is it to see what some of these guys are doing at
4: the dot? Well, they're, they're not doing it against me, Teddy. So yeah,
2: I yeah, I was hoping you'd say something like that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh you know it, it's good trevor trevor had a hell of a year man he's a tough yeah. competitor uh, you know battled against him and in, in israel and and it was funny because i had his number the first game and and he progressively got better um mm-hmm. you know he's a student and and as is jake jake uh what a great teammate um you know an even better person and man he competes his ass off too so um you know all of these guys are all very talented it's a position that is you know it's it's very underrated and people don't understand how hard it is to go out there and shave or uh, to to wrestle a shaved gorilla for you know you do that 20 times a game and then you're mixing in transition and playing a defensive shift and all that stuff it takes a lot out of you so i got a lot of respect for the guys that are that are out there battling and out there doing it it's a it's a tough position and uh you know it's one that um you know doesn't get you know uh, yeah, you know, I'll be the first to say it doesn't get the credit it deserves. But man, you're correct. It's it's evolved. It's been you know it's it's become a uh, a real you know momentum swinging position. It's it's less control of the game and and more momentum. Um, you can get in and out of games really quickly if you start dominating faceoffs and putting the ball in the back of the net. And and uh, I think that's something that Buffalo needs to improve on here. They need to find a way. I think Tyler Burton had a great, did a great job. Um, last week, and uh, and Buffalo needs to find an answer for that if they want to get on some runs.
2: Are faceoffs an important part of lacrosse?
4: Absolutely. Um, you know I can see why people. I, I can see why it's a position that that people want to remove to speed up the game on the field lacrosse side. But you know, it's it's um, it's it's a position that creates. I think that the the that what folks don't necessarily understand in in box lacrosse is it creates that that, that level of uncertainty within the neutral zone that potentially translates into transition opportunities and scoring opportunities. And, um, you know, if you just pulled the ball out of the back of the net and went on, went on the attack, I don't, I think it would be a little bit more stagnant, you know, field lacrosse. My opinion is if you got rid of the motorcycle grip, you would solve a lot of problems in in facing off.
1: Um,
4: And I've, I've been of that mindset for, for quite some time, but, um you know that being said i i think it is an interesting dynamic it's a it's a you know a unique position that there's not a lot of people that do it um but you know that being said i think you know you got to be a complete player and and i think uh guys you know guys nowadays you're, you're starting to see that there is becoming more parity at the face-off circle and you see a guy like trevor baptiste who can score goals and and you know play regular shifts in a field side and and uh you know, you can contribute, you know, between the lines and, and at the face-off dot. I think that's what, you know, you'll want to see more of. We want to get away from these specialty players that, you know, this whole term Fogo, I just hate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I took a lot of pride in being a guy who could play, and, and I'd like to see that come back into the position a little bit more. You got your guys like, you um, know, uh, uh, Shanahan, who, uh, who was with Team USA for a while, Kyle Harrison. Um, you know, Cannabine, like all those guys were good players uh, on top yeah. of being good faceoff guys. Yeah. Um, and, and I think if we got back to that, it was, the game would be a little quicker.
0: There is Jeff Snyder. He and Bob the Blade Snyder continuing to do yeoman's work in the province of Alberta, just growing the game, creating quality humans, young men and women who are not just lacrosse players, but model citizens throughout the world and thanks to Jeff for stopping by always interesting to pick his brain uh, about the state of lacrosse about the game of lacrosse about the face-off position um, and just things to make the game better and Jeff just continues to do all that he can to help the game grow uh, and he's awesome whenever we chat here on the show so thanks to Snides also thanks to Pat Gregoire and thanks to Brad Chowner for stopping by and joining us here on the show we are just a little over 48 hours from Game 2 of the NLL Cup. It is going to be an absolute beauty. BR Live is where you can watch it. If you are in Calgary, you might want to hurry up and get some tickets. They are going fast. Again, Brad Challenger, myself, Ashley Dawkins, Kayla Spies will have the call for you on Bleacher Report. Make sure you head over, get the app, get your game ticket purchased, And be ready, Saturday night, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, for Game 2 of the Finals. The Roughnecks looking for their third title in franchise history. Bandits looking for their first since 2008. And I just love the fact that Rich Kilgore and John Tavares have been a part of every Buffalo Bandits championship. Whether it's as a player, as a coach, from early days to 1992 all the way to today, those two guys have been one of the constants, and it is just absolutely incredible to see. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at OffTheCrossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. We'll see you in Calgary. Game two of the finals. Roughnecks looking to close it out. Bandits looking to force a deciding game three. Enjoy the games this weekend. Get out to them if you can. And until next week...